0: It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. Philosophically, I believe we're all climbing our own mountain. Like there's a place that we imagine looks and feels better than where we are today.
1: Welcome to the Outperform Podcast. My name is Scott Welly. I'm an author, speaker, and the founder of Outperform the Norm, a global movement that helps people achieve peak performance in their personal and professional lives. I've spent my life working with top performers in business, as well as athletics. And each week it's my aim and mission to bring you an inspiring person to share their personal stories and insights, or perhaps it'll be a personal message from me, but with one very simple goal in mind, to help you outperform. Your time is precious and I want to thank you for spending it with me here today, but just one small ask before we get started. If you find value from this podcast, the greatest way that you could possibly thank me would be to head on over to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be and give it a five-star review. Also share it with somebody that you know that you would like to help outperform so we can all grow this movement together and strive to make the world a healthier, happier, higher-performing place. Once again, thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. Bobby, welcome to the podcast.
0: All hail the underdog, Scott. Happy to be here, man.
1: So I got to ask because you, you've said that to me a few times already And this normally I ask a different first question but you do always say hail the underdog. So mm-hmm. tell me why that is something that you sign off with on emails and you said to me a number of times.
0: Well I'm a champion for the underdog. I mean I've been one most of my life and at the same time I've refused to believe it and I believe in most of our hearts like, we have more potential than we realize. And, like, I'm an effort guy, too. You know, I watch. You should see my annual NCAA bracket. It looks like my daughter filled it out, Scott. So, I, I, I just can't resist a great underdog story. And, you yeah, know, that's, that's who you'll find me rooting for right in the front row. <laughs>
1: I love it. Nice. Uh, So why don't we get back to the first question that I do typically always ask guests, which is how do you define outperforming in your life and what does it mean for you to outperform?
0: Well, for me, it means answering what I believe is hands down one of the most important questions that we'll ever answer in our story. And that is, hey, who am I becoming? And when you become the person that you imagine inside, like imagine the possibilities when we all did that. And, yeah, for, so for me, it's like having that desire be so strong that you tie your actions to it and you're willing to go through whatever discomfort and struggle and pain to get to it. You know, it's like, kind of, kind of fits into that underdog mindset that I have. And like, I've seen so many great people when they finally boil down to it, it's like, I can do it. Like, I really think I can do
1: it. So what do you think holds, pe- holds, let's say, more people back from doing that? Because I think, I mean, especially when I speak to different groups, I, I will sometimes, based on what aspect of leadership I'm talking about, I, I will actually... Advocate that they go back to almost their childhood when all of our imaginations ran wild, you know, we all thought that we could be the next uh, NBA basketball player. We could be, uh, you know, we could land on the moon. We could be a great scientist. We could be these different things. And then at some point we quote unquote grow up. And I feel like we turn that part of our imagination off and stop listening to maybe that inner voice that tells us we are actually capable of becoming something more than we are. So how do you start people with that and what do you think holds them back from doing that?
0: Well, my opinion, and I'll tell you what held me back. So my opinion, my favorite quote, I'm going I'm to start it with that. Like my hands down favorite quote is, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves by Sir Edmund Hillary. And like philosophically, like I believe we're all climbing our own mountain. Like there's a place that we imagine that looks and feels better than where we are today. And at the same time, like as a human animal, we struggle living in the present, right? Like we dwell on the past and we dream about the future. Mm -hmm. But it's where we are today on the mountain that matters and doing everything that you need to do and put one foot in the other like, like I think most people Scott like they know what to do they just don't always do what they know and I fell victim to that uh-huh. I, like we all have yeah, yeah. Well, a, a, a good friend of mine <clears throat> named John he, he has a phrase that he uses and he calls it participating in your own rescue and I think for the most part we don't do that like hey like tell yourself the unvarnished truth the kind truth, participate in your own rescue, do what you know you need to do and like just do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so not I, that sexy, right? It's like, it's not that complicated. Let's just, 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 just get out of your own way.
1: No, it's actually really simple. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I think it was actually my girlfriend where I just said, I mean, a lot of times, and again, something that I say in speaking is if if you're not getting the results you want in your in your life, you either don't know what to do or you know what to do. You're just not doing it. And almost always, it's the latter where you know what to do. But for some reason, there is something holding you back that isn't allowing you to do it. And I'm just curious. I, I literally just walked into my office from a speaking engagement and you had, you were nice enough to send me a copy of your new book, The Gift of Struggle. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about just what is the genesis of this book? How did it come about? And um, just give me a little bit more of, of kind of the, the reader's digest version of the book.
0: Sure. So I wrote a book that I wish someone would have written for me at the beginning part of my leadership journey. And I also wrote the book to give, which I believe the essence of leadership is giving more than you take. And that's actually one of the parts of the book. And the essence of the book is pretty simple. And it's my leadership philosophy. And that is that we all struggle. Every struggle teaches us something. That's the gift. Mm -hmm. And leadership is sharing those gifts with others. And so I wrote a collection of stories. I'm a storyteller by nature. My dad was a magnificent storyteller and he gave me that gift. And I wrote a uh, collection of stories about my journey. And, you know, from growing up in a migrant farm working family, being one of 13 kids, to raising my hand and joining the army, to raising my own family, to starting my business and the countless mistakes that I made doing that. And I learned that every one of these stories that I had in my journey had a common thread. And that is that every struggle that I had somehow prepared me for the next time I faced a similar struggle. And for, a, you know, I was very fortunate at at a very young age, I started reframing how I viewed my story. And I started seeing my life in a new light. And I started seeing struggle as a source of empowerment. And, you know, through some encouragement from others that had heard me speak and so forth, I wrote the book. It launched in June. And it's just been a real fulfilling journey. As you know, when you give and you share a message, that helps others. Um, I've just been real, real happy with the fact that I finally made the choice to do it.
1: Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you. Really. I mean, writing a book is... It's a huge task and I think a lot of our books are written because we just we say I wish someone would have told me this at, at some point and right. then to be able to actually put that down on paper where you can give that gift to others I think is a powerful thing so I, I'm curious to come back to something that you said before what age roughly were you when you started I always say there is no failure there's only feedback but mm-hmm. when you started looking at some of your struggles and reframing those as possibly leading you one step clo- closer to success the next time around. Tell me where you were in your life.
0: So I'm going to tell you a couple of short stories and I think it'll bring to life the essence of what, what you asked me. Awesome. So when I was 17, Scott, uh, my brother and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game and along the way we stopped for dinner and everybody unloaded off the bus except for me and my brother, Ed. At that point in our family story, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. It's just the way things were for us. And we were well accustomed to being on that bus. And a few moments after the team unloaded, one of the dads of the other player steps on board the bus and he walked towards the back and he razzed me a little bit because Ed had outscored me that night. He's a better hoops player than I was. And Then he said something to me that I will always remember. Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you boys dinner so that you can join the rest of the team. Nobody else has to know. All you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid, just like you on this bus. And I will never forget how I felt in that moment, Scott. Like, I had this wave of gratitude come over me that's still hard for me to explain to this day. Mm-hmm. And although, like, I'm 17 years old, I had no idea what I was going to do in my life. But when I stepped off that bus, regardless of what I chose to do, I knew why. I would somehow, some way, figure out a way to create something that would allow me to pay forward that kind act to other kids like me who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity to And so that moment became this invisible force that drove me. It gave me purpose. However, I mean, I'm a normal 17-year-old kid, right? Mm-hmm. Clueless. My frontal lobe wasn't very developed yet. <laughs> and uh, all I knew is that a year from then, I was gonna join the army and, you know, raise my hand and take the oath, which I'm very fortunate that I did. And about three weeks into basic training, a year from that moment, I remember it's about 11 to 30 at 30 a night and I'm polishing my boots by flashlight. And all around me, I could hear my fellow soldiers complaining about the night that had no end in sight and the morning that was going to come way too soon. And I remember thinking to myself, it's like, I've been waking up in the wee hours of the morning since I was, you know, in grade school, working in the fields 10 hours a day. It's like, okay, now I have to wake up at 4.30. Big deal. Like I've been without any material comfort, had very little free time growing up. I'd been asked to leave the table just because of the color of my skin. And so I remember for the first time in my life thinking, there's nothing they can say or do to me that I haven't somehow some way faced. And for the first time in my life, I started seeing my story differently. And I started reframing what those struggles had taught me And I simply was like, hey, maybe this was part of the plan. Like, maybe this is what life has been preparing me for. And that's where I started really developing my leadership philosophy and how I viewed struggle. And that's carried me through following chapters uh, of my journey, you know, my professional career and my entrepreneurial career. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, I was very blessed that, you know, now I viewed that part of my story as something that was preparing me for you know, future chapters.
1: So how do you help others adopt that same mindset? <clears throat> because I have to be honest, I've been there before, and I assume everybody that's listening or watching this has as well, where something doesn't go right, or maybe you weren't born with all of the the great circumstances as someone else. And for lack of a better term, you're kind of throwing yourself the pity party. And you're saying, why is this so hard? Why why am I struggling so much with this? Why aren't things better? Why don't I have this? Why wasn't I born with the other thing? Is there a starting point or how do you get people to reframe that in the way that you do?
0: Well, I'm human too, Scott. Like I have those days. We all yes.
1: Right? We all bleed, you
0: know, burp, all that stuff, right? So mm-hmm. you know, we're all human. And, you know, that's part of the message of my book too is like, hey, look, like, like we all struggle. And when you have those days, you have to surround yourself with people that are going to tell you the kind truth and encourage you and so forth. But like, I personally believe that the need for compassionate leadership has never been greater. And, you know, I wrote the book because often as I was growing in my leadership journey, I was learning from leaders, both in the organizations that I was in and and, uh, outside people that I was studying and leaders were more interested in being right versus doing what's right. And it was an or for them versus an and. And so I'm going to get to the heart of your question here in a second. Right. So being a student of leadership and growing like, 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 like you have in the way that you help people, I think first and foremost, uh, yeah, it's the, the habits and the routines that we, that I've been fortunate to create over the years. And like just this, like this morning, like I, I start my day with gratitude and I keep a gratitude journal. And, you know, too often I think it's those habits that we develop as we get through our struggles and reflect on them and build over time. Like we don't, if you don't do those consistently, you're not going to get through those peaks and valleys. Those valleys are going to come. Mm-hmm. Right? Inevitable right? But it's like, is that habit and routine strong enough to get you through them when that lull hits? And we can self-assess that on our own.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, I pulled my own string there, Scott, but at the same time, again, it's situational and different for all of us, but I think it's the simple, not easy things that we learn to do in life that we have to do consistently.
1: Other than maybe the gratitude journal or doing some intentional... A practice of gratitude early on in your day. Are there any other habits or routines that you do that you think have been instrumental to your success?
0: I I do. And, you know, I wrote a chapter in the book around one of my mentors, Dr. Joe. And he taught me at a very early stage in my leadership journey. I met him in the late 90s. And Dr. Joe taught me very early on that you're not allowed to change anyone until you change yourself, and that's why the first part of the book is "Who Am I," and you. Know, if you don't start with you and answer that question, "Who am I becoming," and build routines around that, then yeah, you know, it's whoever you, whatever you envision on that summit of your mountain, it's not, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, so aside from gratitude. I'm a student of application, like a real student. Mm -hmm. For example, when I get a book, I read it front to back once and I'll resist the temptation to pick up my highlighter or pen and then I'll go back and I'll read it a second time. And in that second review, I'll highlight something that really resonated that complemented one of my strengths and then right next to it, I will write down exactly how I'm going to apply it because that's where the magic happens. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So a routine that's helped me get through is the routine of repetition and always refreshing myself on things that I study.
1: Okay, so I hate to press you on this, Bobby, but the bottom line is the norm does information, outperformers do implementation. So I'm going to press you a little bit and other than gratitude, I want to know some of the things that you do. Daily or weekly, as far as your habits and routines that you think have been instrumental to your success.
0: Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm very selective about what I say yes to. So I'm uh, my routines. I'm time blocking. I time block very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Right, so first and foremost, I look at my calendar. I understand that no is not a four letter word, and I'm very intentional about time blocking. Right. So that happens on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And other things that I do on a weekly and uh, daily basis is I take technology fast, right? So I shut myself off to technology, the temptation of the phone, and I focus on answering the single most important question. What is it that I and only I can do? And I make sure that my time blocks align to that one thing or to those intentional blocks. So those are a couple of examples, right? And I'm... I'm very, very comfortable with the word no. <laughs> well,
1: you have to be. I mean, I also see that you're CEO of the Populist Group, uh, which we talked a little bit about offline, but I haven't even gotten to it yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell the audience a little bit about what that is and what you do professionally because you're doing big things.
0: <laughs> well, I've been very blessed and I'm grateful for it. You know, Populist Group, Latin for people. Uh, we're a community of passionate egoless climbers building something bigger than ourselves we're bringing that bus story to life that's the purpose of the organization you know at our core we believe that everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed we're relentless about our culture we fier- fiercely protect it and you know the problem we solve for the world is we help organizations better manage their non-permanent workforce so we're an HR services firm that helps organizations better manage the employees in their company that aren't permanent. And there's a raging war for talent out there and a lot of organizations have a big population of permanent employees, but then a large population of non-permanent employees. And that's sure. a confusing, you know, ball of yarn for the to untangle. And, you know, we simply help them untangle it and, and make sense of it all and do it in a more efficient manner.
1: Yeah, and you've been doing that since 2002, you told me, right?
0: Yeah, it started in 2002. I got into the industry by accident in the uh, early 90s. And, you know, I learned the recruiting industry with a great organization that gave me more responsibility than I was ready for. And, you know, in 2002, I had an opportunity to, you know, start this organization with a couple of uh, good friends of mine. And, man, I, I called the first five years the most fun I never want to have again, Scott. Man, you named the mistake, I made it.
1: <laughs> hey, we all do that when we're first launching our own business.
0: <laughs> Undoubtedly.
1: Yeah. And so,
0: our birthday is coming up on September 9th. And, uh, you know, I have a routine. This, again, what, like every year, I ceremoniously read our business plan, the original one, on our birthday. And I'm here to tell you, it is the best comic book ever written. I'm sure. Like, there's not a thing in it that came to life. And yeah. I do that because it keeps me humble, it keeps me perspective mm-hmm
1: crazy so i know one of our conversations offline was you being a student of your craft and really learning from a lot of different leaders and i'm just curious who are some of the leaders in your life and they can either be big names that the audience sure. uh, you know has heard of or otherwise but who have been some of the most influential leaders that you've learned from
0: so I mean aside from family and you know some uh, some good mentors that I had there, uh, I'm a student of Patrick Lynchione's work and you know Patrick has really helped me build an organization that's focused on health and you know his work has helped me build a very intentional culture that has in a sense helped me, Build the single most important asset that I believe any entrepreneur will ever own, and that is trust. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I've been a student of his work. Um, you know, initially I simply studied his books and was very clumsy about applying his lessons. And I eventually, you know, I met him, and he learned quickly how fierce of a student I had been um, about his work. And yeah, you know, I'm a big advocate for the work that he does, and I, I believe organizations who really want to build an intentional culture in a healthy organization need his work.
1: Yeah. So tell me what that looks like within your organization, because you brought up health, you brought up trust. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about a a couple of those things in either of those areas that um, you feel like you do particularly well with the populist group.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, good question. So, you know, I think when you look at the organization, you want to, and, you know, Patrick's model, really what it's taught me is, you know, there's a healthy side of the organization and there's a smart side, right? So let's look at the smart side first, right? That's the, that's the sexy part of the business that leaders find a lot of comfort in. And, you know, it's the stuff they teach you in the books, right? Like technology and finance and uh, marketing and, you know, that overused word strategy, you know, that's the, and I also call that the permission to play bucket because you have to do those things anyway. And then there's the healthy side. And that is, okay, where there's less confusion, there's more clarity, there's less politics, there's higher trust, there's higher morale, there's higher engagement, there's higher productivity. And like that right there is where the meaningful part of the magic happens within your culture, right? Because If you don't are, if you as a leader aren't doing the things that impact that healthy side of the business, then in my very humble opinion, you're not leading. So, uh, I, I wanted to segregate that in two different buckets so that you could view them more tangibly. And what I believe we've been able to do very well over time is run an organization that absolutely loathes politics. Like, politics make us throw up in our mouth. Like we stand you know, and an example is that one of the first things we teach our climbers, which is what I call my employees, by the way, because I love the mountains and, and the word employees doesn't mean anything, but like we teach, we only hire climbers who care. Right. And when you think about it, like culture comes from the Latin word cultus, cultus means to care. and, our acronym for it is they have to be candid, accountable, resourceful, and exceptional. And we have everything built into our first two, two weeks of their welcome to teach them those skills like candor, feedback, how to build trust, how to behave, how to live our culture, how to live our values. That's the healthy side of it. Then we teach them the smart side, right? So-
1: which I imagine is probably backwards or very different than a lot of companies do it and organizations, right?
0: Don't get me started, man. And, <laughs> you know, uh, It's like the essence of entrepreneurism, right? Like when you really boil it down, entrepreneurism, what is it, right? It's someone who finally got so annoyed with something that they created something to remove that annoyance, right? You name it. Well, a lot of the things that we do in Uh, within our culture at Populous Group, we do it because of the things that annoyed me when I was on the other side of the table. Sure. And so it's not that complicated, right? And so like I'll give you an example. I believe the organizations that have the strongest and healthiest cultures do three things better than anyone. They select well, they welcome well, and they develop well. And so here's a question I'll often ask CEOs and leaders. Okay, what's the difference between selection and hiring? What's the difference between welcoming and onboarding? And what's the difference between developing and training? Most organizations hire, onboard, and train. The best, healthiest cultures, they select, welcome, and develop. Nuances, it's a mindset, but you got to put that stuff into practice.
1: That is awesome. I might actually well, just you. steal that. I, I absolutely love that. That. Hey. Because I think word choices and mindset shifts are so important with what we do and getting people to look at it through that lens. Um, Vernacular. That's just a powerful thing. Yeah. I've never heard that. That's great.
0: It, all I ask is that you take it and you do good with it. And every time you use it, put a quarter on my bar tab. I may never collect but I want to know it's there in case I'm thirsty sometime when I'm in Minneapolis.
1: <laughs> well, you How's said you you said you come to Minneapolis every now and then just not in the winter time. Not so nowhere. in some of the summertime, if I end up quoting you repeatedly, um, I'll make sure that you cash in on that. I'll take yeah. you out.
0: Please. Please, I'd be grateful for it.
1: So, last big question, I'm going to ask you because you brought it up a couple of times, and I don't even think that you mentioned this, but you don't—you don't need to be modest on the Outperform podcast. You said huh? that your annual revenue is roughly six hundred million. Is that what you told me?
0: Yeah, uh, okay. we were very blessed. We 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 eclipsed that number last year. You would have told me that 18 years ago. I would have I would have spit out my coffee, ran out all over you.
1: Yeah. So we're not talking about any small potatoes here. And you've brought up a number of times, all of the mistakes that you've made along the way. And I'm sure you're probably still making some. If you could narrow that down to let's say three or less, as far as some of the biggest mistakes and what you've learned from them in growing a 600 plus million dollar business, what would those be?
0: Perfect. I'm going to start with one of my biggest ones. Remember that bus story I told you uh, sure. a few minutes back? Yeah. That story was raging like an inferno inside of me. And I didn't share it with my company until like year nine or 10. So, biggest mistake number one is do the people you lead know the story that drives you, the story that gives you purpose? And when I finally developed the courage and developed that you know, that learned that vulnerability is a, a critical skill of leadership. Checkmate. It transformed my company into a community. All right, so that's one big one. Um, the second big one is I didn't share what I imagined. And that is uh, in the book, I write a story about uh, a road trip I took with my wife right before we started my company. And with her, I shared with her the culture that I wanted to create again, I didn't share that with anybody. Somehow my knucklehead entrepreneurial nonsense thought that the people that were giving me their time, their energy, and making a sacrifice away from being from their family would somehow figure it out through my intensity. Again, I didn't clearly define my culture and exactly what it meant to be a climber populist group. Once I did checkmate, the people you lead can't help you unless they know what you're trying to build. So there's another one. Uh, and then, uh, you know, another big one is, um, you know, uh, I'm going to go back to those three that I highlighted, right? You know, the select welcome and develop, it's like, like, I've always intuitively flipped over the resume. Like, I ceremoniously, anytime I interview someone, I ceremoniously take the resume and I flip it over, which is counterintuitive given I'm kind of in the resume business, right? Yeah. And, uh, and when we were getting to that second phase of our growth, you know, I call the first five years I never, uh, the most fun I never want to have again. That second era, I call it the holy bleep era insert your favorite word. Scott, a big mistake that I made is I stopped flipping over the resume, right? And that's the difference between selection and hiring, right? When you hire, you're looking at the front of the resume. When you select, you're selecting people based on their purpose and their values and their story. And you really dig into that potential and what they bring to help make your community better than it was the day before. And we stopped doing that for about five years and I paid dearly for it. So never stop flipping over the resume. How's that?
1: Bobby, those are awesome stories. God bless you for the work you're doing. Seriously, you are doing,
0: you know, uh, someone was always there to help me. And I have a mantra if, you know, if my book helps just one struggling kid, veteran or entrepreneur out there take control of their story. Hey man, it's a bestseller in my book.
1: So that's a perfect lead in. Um, as we start to close this out, where would you like people to go to learn either more about you or the book or anything else? Where can listeners and viewers go?
0: Well, I, uh, I, my website is bobby-herrera.com. Um, you know, I have a great team that helps keep the stories fresh. We're doing a lot of sharing there from students to struggle. They can follow me on LinkedIn I'm on Instagram and Twitter, at Bobby Herrera PG. I moved to a farm in Portland last year to lay low. I'm kind of messing that up. But, hey, I'll keep sharing the gifts of struggle that are coming my way and from other students to struggle. And like I said, I wrote the book to give. And, uh, you know, I'd I'd be grateful if they read it. But I'd be even more grateful if once it resonated, they bought it for someone that they want to give to. Because that's really what it's about
1: pay it forward, right? That's it.
0: That's it. A kind act changed my life. And that's, yeah, we all want our story to matter. And if this helps mine, then I'm a pretty, pretty lucky guy.
1: Awesome. And for all the, the listeners, viewers, I will have those links for Bobby's website, for the book, for his social channels. All those will be in the show notes. Bobby, any other parting shots, words of wisdom you would like to leave with the outperforming audience?
0: Just one, if you don't mind, uh, Scott. Um, you know, I, we have to go through struggle, pain, and suffering to get to wisdom. And I often call that, uh, one of my principles, like the long way is a shortcut. And like, there's nothing in our lives that have happened with that. that there's nothing, it's nothing happens in our lives that doesn't go through that, that channel there, that road. And the sooner we figure that out, the sooner we can become the person we imagine. And I'm grateful that I've had great, you know, really good people to help me do just that. And I'd love to see more people do the good work that you're doing. And I think we all have more potential than we realize.
1: I 100% agree. So on behalf of all of the outperformers out there that are listening and watching this, Bobby, we want to... Thank you for, your, for sharing your wisdom, your struggles, and being courageous enough to share some of your, your stories and everything else with us. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Hail the underdog, Scott. I love it.
1: <laughs> hail the underdog. I love that one too. All right. And everybody out there, um, keep all performing. Wishing you the best of health, happiness, high performance. Have a great day hello outperformers three more quick things before we sign off here today first and foremost thank you so much for listening to this episode i understand how many different podcasts are out there and i do not take a single second of your time for granted because time is truly our most valuable asset it is our most precious commodity and i appreciate you taking that time and you spending it with us here today. Second, if you found value in this podcast, maybe you've noticed, but podcasting has gotten quite popular as of late. And if you would like to help support the outperforming movement and the outperform podcast, one of the best ways that we can get it found is for you to give it a favorable review and rating on whatever your favorite podcasting platform happens to be. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Play, and give it a favorable review and while you do that also share it with someone else that you know that is just like you is driven by growth and wanting to be the best personally and professionally in every single thing that they do number three if you want even more tools and tips and strategies to be able to be your best personally and professionally, head on over to scottwelle.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. There are loads of different resources for you on everything from goal setting and grit, to resiliency and focus, to confidence and motivation and routines and habits and everything that you can possibly imagine to help you be your absolute best every single day, personally and professionally. Once again, if you'd like to access those free resources, head on over to ScottWelly.com. S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. So as I sign off, thank you again for spending your time with me here today. Keep outperforming, and as always, wish you the best of health, happiness, and high performance. Have a great day.